This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha. A Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell. Good evening, everyone. I think that I can truly say that I'm happy to be here tonight. Uh, I I didn't want to come back from my vacation uh, a few, I guess now it's been almost two weeks, um, or actually almost three weeks, it's two and a half weeks. Um, uh, partly because um, this has been such a strange period the past six months. Uh, the usual reference points of seasons, days, months, activities have, have been absent. And the calendar, calendar almost doesn't mean anything. Um, the, the days all seem kind of the same and the months, um, I think because I was, because of my own circumstance of being sick, uh, I experienced the seasons differently. Uh, and because of global warming now in Paris, it's like hotter than it was at some points during the summer. Um, more than 30 degrees, which is very unusual for Paris in September. Um, so there have been a number of, uh, a number of my usual attachments that had fallen away throughout this period. And in some respects, it's been refreshing. Uh, in other respects, uh, it's been difficult. And I, I, when I came back from my holidays, um, I found myself uh, wanting to, wanting the certainty of uncertainty that I had become accustomed to since March. Everything uncertain. Um, making plans. I felt great liberation making plans since then because I knew that they were completely uncertain. Um, there was no way of really becoming convinced that whatever was planned would happen. And I came to really enjoy that. And felt great freedom in that not hesitating to make a plan because I knew that it wasn't fixed and that it might not happen and that was okay. Um, and as I returned from my vacation, I started thinking, oh, maybe it's different now. Maybe plans will really be fixed. Um, and things will be certain again, and I will miss that uncertainty. Until I realized that things are always uncertain. Um, the uncertainty is always that there. It's, it's how I experience it, it that changes and how it manifests 
concretely what changes. Part of my, I think part of my difficulty coming back to is that I didn't do a lot of sitting during my vacation, um, which was fine. Was, I was taking a break from everything. Um, but I, I recognized that there was less clarity, there was a certain um, dullness of mind, um, certain tightness in my heart, maybe, um, a tendency to not want what is, notably not wanting to come back from my holidays. Um, and yet in the middle of all of that, so this was valuable for me to realize the importance of sitting. Of course, I know the importance of sitting. But, and I tell you about it all the time. Um, but it was really um, a, a teaching experience for me to have it right now, recently, to, to experience it so directly and concretely. And at the, while there was all of this going on, there was also, because of all of my years of practice, um, an underlying awareness of that, aware that I was less clear, aware that there was this tightening, um, aware of not wanting, uh, aware of this kind of dullness, um, that just, the dullness, it, it just kind of translates as um, not experiencing the, the brilliance of things, Whatever they are, you know, it could be a cat sleeping on a wall, or it could be um, clouds rolling in on a sunny day. I mean, it didn't have to be anything spectacular, but because um, because the clouds were rolling in in my mind, I was not seeing the brilliance of the clouds rolling in the sky, something like that, and. Yet I was aware of it. And even in the middle of this, not doing much sitting and not being clear, I was coming back to that. I was coming back to not being clear. I was bringing my awareness to not being clear, to being dull, to being tight, uh, to not wanting. And when I would do that, then there would be great relief. Um, because it was just what it was. There was part of the tightness was wanting it to be different. But when I came back to just what it was, then that tightness was not there anymore. It was just this. And I knew, I could see, I could observe, just by doing that, the impermanence of it, that it would change, it did change, it will change, it does change. Uh, and again, in that, it's almost like there is a physical 
experience of relief and ease when we return to that impermanence, to that experience of things being impermanent. Because then anything is possible. Things don't last. I've also, my other great tool for experiencing impermanence is my ongoing post-COVID experience. Uh, because I'm one of these people that has ongoing issues. Six months later now, and I still have ongoing health issues. Um, but they're impermanent. It's not all the time. Sometimes I'm really tired. Sometimes I'm not. Uh, sometimes when I make an effort, I get exhausted. Sometimes not so much. Uh, there doesn't really seem to be any pattern to it, but except that it comes and goes. Uh, the only pattern is the impermanence of it. And this is an incredible teaching as well. And the way that I, the only way that I can experience that is to be intimate with it. So I have to really let go, let fall the barriers between me and whatever is happening. Not withdraw from it. not pull away from it, not push it away. But when I just am there with whatever is, if I'm really there with whatever is, then I become what is, right? I'm intimate with it. Uh, then I can fully experience the impermanence, uh, the fullness of it, and it's arising and falling, which is its impermanence. Um, but as soon as I start putting up a barrier, I can't, I can't see that. I can't experience that. And the sitting helps to bring down those barriers. It's much easier when we have a stable sitting practice to let the barriers fall. Or it's not even in something active, it's a shift. Um, they fall, the barriers fall. It's not that I am bringing them down and making them fall. Um, and then in that, in that, in that space where the barriers have fallen um, there's the experience of things just as they are and as i said anything is possible there um, there is a there is a true not knowing um, of what it is, because as soon as I identify what it is, uh, then that's not it. I, I did a poetry reading last night on Zoom with some, uh, organized by some, some in, in Tel Aviv, 
um, the person, the woman, the poet that I wrote my recent, most recent book with lives in Tel Aviv. And she was supposed to participate in reading with some poets there. Uh, but because Israel has now gone into lockdown again, um, they had to move the reading on to Zoom and they invited me to participate because Sabine, my fellow poet, is reading from our book. And one of the poets said, um, so there were some questions after, I forget what the question was, but um, one of the Israeli poets, a woman said, if I know what I'm doing, then I'm not doing it. If I know what I'm doing with my writing, then I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I have to not know it. And this really spoke to me. Um, I think the question was about, because all of us, the two Israeli women are, um, grew up in the US, but live in Israel. And Sabine is French, grew up in France and lives in Israel. And I am American and live in France. So all of us are living in a foreign culture and dealing in a foreign language most of the time. So the question was that, how did that affect our poetry? I think. And we all agreed that it, it really enriched our experience of our own language. It helped us to not know, I'm using the Zen terminology, but she said this, this other question, this other poet, it helps us to not know, to not be so attached to knowing our language and knowing the words. Because we're so influenced, there's so much information coming from another language that we use our language differently. And I think any of you who, I mean, you're all, except for Debbie and I, I think, right at this moment, listening to a language and functioning in a language that is not your native language. Um, and so you are also doing that. You're experiencing a language that is unknown to you and, and experiencing it differently than if it's known. Um, and I think that what, what the poet was saying was that we become really intimate with our words when we don't know what they mean. We don't know what they mean in the sense, have an idea or a conceptual notion of what they mean. Um, I also, this summer during my travels, I went to visit the, in South Eastern France, um, the museum of the French artist Pierre Soulage, uh, who's a he's a hundred years old. Um, he's probably one of the you know, he's one of the most celebrated, oldest living uh, French painters. And there's this fabulous museum that's devoted to his work in Rodez. But there was a little film about him. He made these stained glass windows in a church in a town nearby. Uh, Conque is the name of the town. And 
in it, he said something to the effect of, or what, the whole film traced his process with this. And it was a whole process of not knowing. He didn't know what he wanted until he saw it. And he was working with these artisans to make the perfect glass that he could then paint on, make his, but he needed what he, he needed this, he needed the glass to be just right for the windows. And he, you know, went to all, he went to this great, you know, glass corporation in France, Saint-Gaudin. Um, he worked with all these scientists. He worked with these technicians and it showed him doing all of this and crushing the glass, arranging it in just this perfect way before it melted and then getting different degrees of it. It was all very um, hands-on, you know, it was, it was like, like Tiago can probably relate because it's, it has to do with the matter and working with the substance and um, and eventually after how long it took him years I think working with different technicians and companies and artists and things he finally ended up in Germany with a company a glass maker um, that got it right it wasn't that he got it, got it right. It was when, when it was done, he knew that was it. In the beginning, he couldn't have said that's what it was, but he had to go through all the process. So through all of this experience, experiencing, trying, seeing, it was not conceptual, though. It, it was experiential. And in, at the moment then he said, yeah, this is it, this is right. He held it up to the light, and it was that. Um, and then the whole process started over again because then they had to get, with his assistance, they had to get the painting was right and everything. But then the film stopped. So um, and we moved on to something else. But th it was clear from that that he too, as an artist, is involved in not knowing. And this, speak, this speaks to us all as artists of our own life. Because the same thing applies. That, and you've heard me talk about this too, the, the art of life, you know, um, the heart of life, but the art of life. And the, the fabulous creativity of making your supreme life with the ingredients you have. You know, soulage, he would you know, work with these ingredients and then uh, try other ingredients, um, go to another workshop. Um, but basically it was the same ingredients. You know, I'm not sure exactly what those crystals are that make glass, but it was the same ingredients, basically. It was just, you know, cooking it, you know, heating it to a different temperature, um, grinding it to a different uh, degree. Um, I'm not sure exactly what they were doing, but uh, it was all very technical. And experimenting, trying it, putting your hands in it. You know, it's like in French you say, mettre la main la patte. Um, put your hands in the, 
in the dough, you know. Um, and that's what we need to do with our lives. And the way that we do that is by not being separate from it. So this comes back to the notion of barriers. So when we are, Maizumi Roshi used to say, close the gap between yourself and yourself. So it's about closing this gap, becoming intimate with yourself, um, intimate with what is, intimate with this breath, intimate with this fatigue, um, intimate with being on vacation, intimate with coming back from vacation, um, and actually realizing that there is no coming or going, that it's always this, um, whatever it is, right here and now, it's always this. Um, So I think I've returned to my return to my appreciation for uncertainty and um, the certainty and uncertainty of it, uh, and have more ease. I think since I've come back. Uh, um, You know, I, transitions can often be difficult because we we feel like things are moving and we don't know where we are. Um, so I think part of my my own difficulty with I mean difficulty is relative, but with coming back was being in the transition period and thinking that I had been somewhere and that I was coming back when actually it was just the circumstances that changed um, and I needed to let go of attachment to one circumstance and welcome another circumstance um, this is not to say that it's not difficult it is and this is not to say that this period that we've been living from late winter uh, to now late summer, autumn in a few days, it has not been easy for anyone. Um, and it's, it can be easier if we let go of thinking that it should be easy. And that's part of closing the, you know, taking down the barrier, is letting go of thinking it should be a certain way. And I'm saying that from experience. Um, And realizing that it's always different. You know, I'm thinking this September was was different from other Septembers, but no, it's, it, it, every September is different. 
every day is different. You know, it's never the same. I can see in my garden the because I've spent so much time in my garden in the past six months. Um, I have really paid attention to the, the sun and where it is at certain moments of the day in the garden. And it's stunning how it changes the placement. Something that I don't never really noticed. I'm sure if I lived in the countryside, I would notice it more. But living in the city, there's less contact with that. And, and so I've noticed the garden, the, the spots in my garden that all afternoon were full of sun. And at midday, at lunchtime, were boiling hot. We needed a, a, a parasol to eat lunch. Now there's no sun there at that time of day. And that too is an acknowledgement of impermanence. That too is, is recognizing that things change. There's movement. And instead of wishing that the sun was where it always was during the summer, I just appreciate what it is now. I don't need the parasol anymore when I'm having lunch outside. Soon I won't be able to have lunch outside. It will be too cold, probably, or raining. So I just appreciate what it is right now. And then it's much easier. And then that tightness disappears. And there's the relief. And I can see the brilliance of it, of just this moment. So um, I think that's it for me, for my talking. Uh, you haven't had any opportunities really to say anything or ask questions for all these weeks. So if you would like to say something, share something, how your time has been or react to something I said or ask a question. We can use the hand raising mode if you want to, which you can access if you click on participants at the bottom of the page. Joan. Um. Just one of the, the last things just said. Um, this is actually very simple, but uh, uh, and I was thinking, I, I don't know exactly <laughs> when it happened. Uh, well, something that was unfolding, of course. Um, about wanting things to be, it's very simple because it's about things, it's about wanting uh, something to be different and without even realizing it. And what I was thinking about was, um, what came to my mind was my, uh, my relationship with my uh, ex-wife uh, and 
I, I realized not long ago that I had uh, I was going to say I had dropped, I don't know, I, I remember starting to understand that, to see that the wish for, um, for a long time there, there had been uh, a wish that, uh, or an expectation that she would change in, in relation to a certain kind of attitude towards certain things. Um, and what was interesting for me it, it was to realize that at a certain moment, it was no longer there, that expectation. Be because there was, there's no reason to have that expectation. There's no, there's no reason to expect uh, someone to, in this case, uh, uh, this example I'm giving, there's actually no reason to expect uh, that she would behave differently. And what was interesting was how that changed. It's like looking at something that you you always seen. It's like looking at from a different, a totally new angle, totally different perspective, which I had never done. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like having something on on a shelf or something, some object or something, and looking at looking at it from the same perspective for years and years, and then someday you 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 look at it for some reason, you look at it from from somewhere you had never looked at it from from the side or and that was that was the most interesting uh, and I, what I, what i what I felt was that that was possible uh, because I had dropped or I realized it was not there anymore the, 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 and how important that was because actually there were there was for a long time the expectation I wouldn't even say the the, the wish there was not actually a wish that uh, she would change some kind of behavior was just there was this unspoken of and, and kind of almost unconscious expectation like uh, as long um, until she un, until this changes nothing will work better or will be easier or whatever you know uh, there was that and it was interesting to I, I felt very very free, actually, of the directness of, of looking at that in that way, in that new way, that new perspective, new angle. I felt very, very free. Uh, so. that, and that, that's an example of how we, we do, we want people to change. You know, we're bothered by them, they upset us, or they make us angry, or whatever. Um, and in fact, we're missing the point. The point is that it's to do with us, and we change how we experience. We change, we change what happens in us, and then that changes everything. 
Thank you. Thank you. And just thinking about what Jamal said, um, that that example too, we can also see that when when we can let go, when well, it's not even that we actually willing willfully let go, but that helps us to see that whatever it was we were feeling, um, anger, um, frustration, hope expectation, whatever it was, um, we can see that it's not, that's not what we are, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't belong to us, it's just something that we experienced, and as um, the physicist David Bohm points out um, that grief, sorrow, frustration, anger, whatever these emotions are, love as well, um, are universal. And he gives the example of scientists who are studying sodium. They don't say, this is my sodium, and that's your sodium. It's sodium. Uh, it's grief. It's anger. It's fear. It's love. It's not my love, my fear. Um, and we can see this when you know, I, I, I know for myself again, in my example, of when I, more and more, I've been hearing about and reading about who uh, had these ongoing COVID things, and they're calling it post-COVID, uh, they're calling us long haulers. Um, and I, I read about them and, and hear it from other people who know people like me that we're experiencing the same things. 
not only the same physical symptoms, but also the same way that we feel about it. You know, sometimes despair, sometimes frustration, uh, sometimes uh, resignation, whatever we're feeling about it. And that shared, for me, that, and, even, and people are forming groups about this, uh, support groups and whatever. And the reason is, is that because then when we share those emotions with others, we realize it's not just me. It's shared. It's everybody's sodium. It's everybody's pain. It's everybody's suffering. It's everybody's sorrow. It's not just money. Um, and this is, again, cause for great relief and freedom. You know, like Jean says, freedom. Um, And we can see this in other ways too. You know, you meet someone who, groups of people who like the same films or you know, who like to bird watch or something. You share that. It's not just you. And in fact, we share, we all share the same nature. Um, if we could really experience that, if we could really not be stopped by the barriers that keep us from seeing that, then then the world would be different. Because not only do we share, not only is love universal, but it's what we are. And not only is do we share this same nature, but it's what we are. So I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking. Um, I'm not used to talking this much, actually. Uh, because as Joan pointed out, before we had our break, we were doing this on Thursday nights from 8 to 9. So we had a very short sitting period, and then a short talk, and then a short question period. But then when we came back, we thought we would go back to our original schedule, which was Thursday nights from 8 to 9.30. Um, which is what we normally did in Paris when we met in person. So uh, that's why I suggested sitting for half an hour. And now 40 minutes of talking seems like a long time to me. Um, so I won't say anything more. If you would like to, I'm wel you're welcome to, but I'm not saying anything more. Unless a response is required. Well, uh, yeah, um, but what you just said, I was uh, thinking about the the difference. I was thinking about seeing the differences because it's not a matter of it's not a question of it's the oneness. Yeah, but there there are the differences in, in here, definitely. Uh, but it's. Uh, uh, yeah, but it's uh, seeing the differences for uh, for what they are. Uh, sometimes in certain areas of knowledge, I don't know exactly where you talk about, I don't know if in English it works, uh, it's accidents, because it's accidental. It's accidental. It's not, it's, uh, it's, um, 
it's just a characteristic. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not a. It's not the core, let's say. Uh, it's just, it has that characteristic. Um, but I don't, I don't know if the word accident uh, can be used for that in, in English. Um, anyway, it's seeing it for, for, uh, for what it is. Doesn't make it less, doesn't make the difference. It depends, of course, I'm, I'm just talking abstract, but um, it's... Um, It's about seeing the difference. Uh, that's just one aspect. That's just one 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 aspect of, of, the, of reality. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and that and that has a lot to do with seeing from a different perspective, looking at it, looking at things from 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 somewhere else. Um, I don't know. I was uh, I was thinking about Black Lives Matter, the whole, the whole movement, and the, the so everybody's human. And, and if you go in genetics, you know, it's there. There's all these there's all these things that are the same. Everybody, a human being, it's the same everywhere. That thing about race doesn't make any sense from at least from the scientific perspective. That, that, there's no race that doesn't exist um but at, even that it's not that's not the whole story that's not yes there are there are differences yes there is someone who has a different skin color uh who has lived all his life in a in a, in a who has a, uh, who has was born in in a family in a certain environment social environment economic environment all of that uh, and that, you know, in that is uh, that is uh, an accident. That's that's uh, in that sense that I was talking. That's an accident. It's not who they are. It's not who that person is. But it, but it's it's a, it's an aspect. That's also it. Cannot just you can oh you know this is you have to take that into account also, um, and you have to take into account that it's it's it's, it's a human being as a, as any other human being, because I'm talking about human beings. So uh, you always have to uh, both both are are both are relevant. Um, Bernie Glassman used to say. What we all share are our differences. Meaning that, you know, when we truly see oneness, we truly see difference. We truly see the singularity of how, how, how this, what we all share is manifested in an absolutely singular way, in, in unlimited, in the 10,000 things. Um, every phenomenon, every moment, every person is manifesting the same thing, but in a different way. And to not see that is to not see the oneness, you know, and it's not, it's just, if we only see the oneness, then as I say often, it becomes totalitarian. 
um, if we only see the difference, well, then we will be stuck in discrimination and um, racism and bigotry and um, suffering. So, that's true. There is not one without the other. Because they're one. Debbie? And this to me is the most exciting part of being alive with other people. And it's also the most mystifying. I read recently some psychologist in the 70s, I should have read him in the 70s, was talking about separate realities. And quite frankly, I don't think that even today I really know understand, imagine that the person I'm talking to is not like me. They don't have it. They're not like me. But in my heart, I think that they have the same values. Not that I can, I can imagine that they don't have the same experience because my experience is kind of wacky, but that they don't have the same values. They don't, they don't have the same perspective. It hits me in the face every single time. It's not always negative, but it's always a surprise. I just can't imagine that we're all so different, even though in, in my in intelligence, I know it's the case. It's a little puzzle to me. How to um, not already start making up my movie about who that person is when I think they're in my movie. They're not in my movie. But I, after five, ten minutes, I've got them all. I know what role they're going to play. That's amazing to me. So then what do you do? Um, because inevitably, you encounter the fact that they're not that role, or they're not playing it like you want it to be played. Or So, so what do you do? Then? Well, so far, I've gotten to the point where I don't blame them for not being the character that I have set them up to be. That's how far I've gotten. Because I'm disappointed. I mean, I am. I, I'm, je me fie aux apparences. I look at the person and already have a whole story going. Then they say four things, and I know exactly who they are. And then a month later, they do the opposite, and I'm mad, disappointed, uh, confounded. So recently, it has come to me that I can't hold it against them. It's my process. And maybe repeat to myself, remind myself as I'm going along setting up their dialogue and their role and everything, that this is not going to work out. That I'm, I'm going to get stumped at some point. But much more I haven't quite come to yet. That's that's an enormous step already to to not uh, to make that step. Yeah, to not blame them for not being who you want them to be. Yeah. Joy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, three things. Um, uh, first of all, I, I, I I'm really glad that. We're all together. Uh, that it's it's starting again this season. <laughs> it's it's really nice, and I really appreciate the fact that it's 
the first time on our regular schedule that we do this online thing for the Dharma talk and I, out of the context of the, the confinement and everything. So I'm really happy that we can share that with uh, people in Portugal and in France and elsewhere. Uh, yeah, the second thing is I, uh, um, I want to thank you, Roshi, for sharing your dullness, the process of exposing the moments where it's, it's not grandiose or, <laughs> um, and uh, I certainly can relate to that. Um, I've had ups and downs and over the summer, and I can certainly relate to that. Uh, and, and the third thing is the, the hearing Debbie reminded me of something that I heard um, this week and it really it struck me. Um, I had a friend who um, was dating someone for the past year and, um, and they had a really nice summer together and recently he just said to her that doesn't do it for, her, for, for him and uh, it's going too fast and it's, he doesn't really love her and he, that's what he realized. And of course, she's very puzzled by that. And, and what struck me is the fact that suddenly she, based on what she was hearing from now, retrospectively, she's thinking, so what does it mean? So it didn't mean anything. So. So it deconstructs what, so not only do we have stories, do we make stories about that create certain relationship to our reality, but also when we hear stories, it starts to deconstruct, to put a doubt on what we're actually feeling. And I thought it was very interesting to, to, um, to notice that, was putting a doubt on what she felt at the time or what was real at the time retrospectively so not only do we it's like the question of what what's our narrative and 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 how our narrative traps us in or forbids us to just really feel what we feel and even, and that can happen even retrospectively we're starting to doubt or reconstruct what we felt even though we felt what we felt at the time it's only oh what i felt at the time shouldn't there's something that starts to be deconstructed and i thought it was there was uh, it was creating a lot of hurt for her also and um noticing that narrative how that narrative can can um, participate in in the you know misery you know sorrow And we do that in a thousand ways, uh, moment to moment. Yeah. 
But the thing to remember, and maybe we should end on this, um, the thing to remember is that the same mind that does that, you know, what Joa and Debbie are describing, um, that same mind is the mind that wakes up and that sees clear, that is clarity. That same mind is dullness, cloudy, um, tight. That same mind is awake. Alive. Um, it's not two. It's the same mind. And so if we can, so, you know, the step is like, you know, like Debbie said, well, you just realize what you're doing and see that it's not what you think it is. Even if you don't feel like that's a huge major change and don't do it anymore, but that's the step that the mind is capable of that. The mind is capable. In fact, that's its nature but it just gets clouded over with all this other stuff that we enter it and the doubt that we have because we don't see that that's our nature. So then we doubt. So all of this thing, thing um, to keep Keep coming back to what is, to the richness, the fullness. We appreciate your life. Okay. I guess we will do the vows. Um, in, all of us will be muted except for who's ever, is Joe, are you doing the chant leading? Yeah, I can.